So, uh, Ralph Velasco, uh, thanks for joining us today on the journey. And uh, let me just mention a little bit about what the journey is. Um, the journey is an uh, opportunity to have just a conversation with individuals who have, throughout their life, maybe either have had obstacles in their life or maybe that they have um, uh, trans. Um, uh, transformed their lives, recreated themselves through whatever means that was. Maybe it was business, maybe it was some kind of setbacks in relationships or setback um, financially or mental health-wise, addiction or whatever that may be. So uh, so welcome. And um, so if you could, maybe just mention a little bit about not only who you are, but if, if and when you have opportunity for fun, what, what, is, what does Ralph do for fun? Well, that's... Uh, Great question because, uh, you know, as a as an entrepreneur, as as you know, you, there's always something to do, and uh, so I'm kind of a one man show. I've got a very part time assistant that that works with me and helps me with uh, some things in my business, uh, but I, you know, when you when you work, especially out of your home or wherever your laptop is, which is what I do, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's always seems to be something to do. So, uh, fun, but, uh, you know, for fun, what I, what I tend to do, I, I love to read. I love to learn. I'm a constant learner. So I'm always watching, uh, any, you know, I, I've really gotten hooked on YouTube videos for okay. anything at all that I want to learn, okay. whether it's uh, changing out an outlet to, you know, learning how to set up a YouTube channel or whatever it might be so okay. uh, I, I love to read I love music I love uh, movies and documentaries things like that so uh, w- with my job which I organize and lead tours around the world uh, I am constantly on the go and so when I'm home which home is uh, really like I said where my laptop is but uh, I, I really don't have a home I'm, I'm what's come to be called location independent okay which is a nice way of saying homeless but uh, <laughs> but in a good way but um so when I'm in, when I'm in the U.S. typically I'll stay with family here in Rockford and uh so to me kind of uh what I do is just relax I try to relax sure and just kind of take advantage of that downtime because typically I'm always on the go either on planes trains automobiles with a group touring uh, doing that kind of thing so I really appreciate my downtime okay you said vocation independent I, that's a new term I'm not familiar with that what's what does that mean actually it's location independent oh, location independent location okay. independent okay. it's uh, it's just kind of a new term that means okay. uh, you, you you're independent of location, I guess. Uh, oh. It means you don't really have a permanent home. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So there's a lot of people that are doing this digital nomads, which are, you know, traveling around the world and just, uh, you know, doing business wherever their laptop is, which is okay. really interesting because of this uh, internet sure, society sure. that we have now, sure. and the fact that we could run businesses from anywhere in the world that there's uh, an internet connection. Yeah. Well, and that, and it, absolutely. And that's it's such a different than the, the traditional or historical brick and mortar, um, or even before brick and mortar, it was tied to the land, right? So, so uh, you know, all of industry, you know, historically has been about a, a, a location, it has been about um, either originally a piece of land or if there were hunter-gatherers, that aspect of it, and then later it became um, more uh, manufacturing. And then that, again, goes back to buildings and 
and brick and mortar. And now, um, because of technology, that has, for, in some aspects, has has changed, or at least for some individuals, have, have allowed them to be um, not tied to a piece of property or not tied to that brick and mortar. So, uh, well, tell us a little bit about your background first. And so, um, I know for sure you have one sister, and because uh, I've known her, and she's also a therapist, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and I've known Vicky for a long time. Um, and so it was just the two of you. Mm-hmm. And um, and grew up in uh, Park Ridge, right? And what did mom and dad do? Yeah, so I grew up in Park Ridge, which is a suburb of Chicago, and my parents were the first franchisees of Brown's Chicken. Uh, it's got to be over fifty-five years ago now. Uh, quick, interesting story about that: the Browns at the time had seven stores. It was started by uh, John Brown and Frank Portillo whose brother, Dick Portillo, started Portillo's Hot Dogs. Okay. Uh, my f- grandparents were friends with their parents uh, for many, many years, and so uh, they were. my dad wanted to get into the restaurant business way back when in the, probably the early 60s, and so knew that, these, uh, that Frank had, had this, this, uh, this group of restaurants, and uh, he might be interested, so he said... Uh, you know, well, how could we do this? How could we set this up? And so my dad said, well, you know, there's this new new restaurant chain called McDonald's, and they're doing this thing called franchising. Why don't we look at, into that? And so sure enough, uh, they became the first franchisees of Brown's Chicken, store number eight, I think in 1963, actually okay. the year I was born. Okay. Uh, fast forward, uh, I... Um, I went to Loyola Academy in Wilmette. I went to Indiana University, studied uh, small business and entrepreneurship, came out and ended up purchasing a small uh, restaurant in Park Ridge that I used to go to when I was a kid. So this is, now I'm 21 at this point. So I bought this restaurant. It was a Chicago hot dog stand and uh, loved it. It was, you know, it was fun, but I, I sold it after a couple of years. I uh, did a round-the-world trip. I said, before I do anything else, I'm going to uh, do a round-the-world trip, which at the time, 1988, was uh, you know, not as easy as, as it is today, sure. you know, theoretically, before the Internet, before cell phones, mm-hmm. uh, virtually before the wheel. Uh, but uh, so uh, did that, and then I did a lot of other things, real estate, and I was the marketing director for a division of Fortune 500 company, uh, I was uh, then. I then I had my second restaurant, which was uh, 2001 to four, and I said uh, I was coming up to my end of my three-year lease, my initial three-year lease, and um, it, it was a matter of deciding was I going to sign for another five years or do something different, okay. and so <clears throat> I was. Uh, the, the restaurant was doing okay. It was kind of barely breaking even. It was tough because I opened up like three, four months right before 9-11 mm-hmm. in downtown Chicago. And so, you know, people were re- at that time were pretty skittish about being in the city. Mm-hmm. And I was just a few blocks away from the Sears Tower. You know, was it next kind sure. of thing? I remember that. So I... Um, uh, I, I started, uh, what saved me was I added catering to my business. Okay. And so that ended up being about 50% of my, my business, which uh, was fantastic. Um, 
So that saved me. So anyway, make a long story longer, I decided to sell the restaurant. I found someone to purchase it. And what I did um, as I was deciding was I, I, I took a yellow pad and on the left-hand side, I wrote down the, the things that I thought were negative about the restaurant business. Uh, uh, speaking of you know having to have land or brick and mortar, I had to have an actual restaurant that mm-hmm. costs like $5,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, that rent came due the first of the month every month, whether business was good or bad. Yeah. So that was a big nut to crack. So I didn't want that. Uh, I had employees. Uh, I was selling something that people put in their mouths and could potentially get sick on. Um, I had a lot of money tied up in inventory. I came home smelling like a French fry every night. You know, all these things. And so on the right-hand side of the paper, I wrote the opposite of those. I said, I want to work wherever my laptop is. I don't want employees. I want to work for myself. Uh, I want to sell a service or a virtual product as opposed to food. And uh, I want to take a shower before work, not after. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and now this was at the dawn of digital photography. So the early 2000s. And so digital cameras were just kind of coming to be. And I saw a potential. Now, I've always been a traveler. So since high school, when I went to Loyola, and I was 15 years old when I studied in Spain one summer, and I was absolutely hooked on on international travel. Next year, I I was a volunteer in Peru. Next year, I volunteered in Venezuela. The following summer, I studied in Mexico City. So the reason I go back to that is um, I always thought that Getting, uh, making a living from travel was like becoming a rock star sure. okay. or an actor. I mean, it's virtually okay. impossible and hardly anyone, you know, makes it to that level or because it was such a dream job. So I did all these other things. And so with digital photography, I always loved photography as well and uh, was, uh, I guess, fairly good at it. People uh, told me that they enjoyed my images. So I saw this opportunity, but it wasn't, I didn't see the opportunity in selling images, which, you know, like stock photography. Mm-hmm. I saw it as selling the picks and shovels to the miners. So selling the uh, people were going to want to learn how to use these new digital devices, okay. these cameras and things. So I saw it in teaching people that, and I love to teach um, hadn't really done it much at that point, but I always loved uh, teaching and learning. And so um, I saw an opportunity in setting up walking tours okay. that had to do with photography. Let me, let me go back and I want to ask you something because sure. I, th- I, I think I'd like to go back and do that first time, I think the summer when you were 15 and you went over to Spain mm-hmm. and you said that hooked you. And there, and and so tell tell us a little bit about that piece of it, and then we're gonna, I want, because I wonder how much that plays a part into, also part of your teaching process. So what, what's what was it like? I mean, what what was it about being in Spain, fifteen years old? Um, what 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 was it that hooked you? What, when you say hooked you? Yeah, so I, I mean, I'd done some travel with my family. We used to go to Mexico about every other year, every third year. Uh, when I was even younger than that. So I had a little bit of international experience, but that was always with the family. Mm. 
This was on my own with my high school. So, of course, we had, uh, at the time, priests, because I went to an all-boys Catholic high school, uh, a couple teachers, things like that. But we were learning Spanish. It was a six-week program. Um, here I am, 15 years old, on my own in this on this other continent, uh, spoke a little bit of Spanish, but was learning. And, uh, yeah, there was, uh, you know, we could have drinks at the time, you know, there was no drinking age or anything. So, um, you know, that was kind of fun, but, but it was more about, uh, just being in this new world where okay. everyone spoke Spanish, everything was written in a different language. There was different money. The time zones was different. Um, you know, I, it was funny. I, I I used to write letters to my mother, my family, on the toilet paper, because it was like, um, what do you call it? Uh, not cardboard, but it was so solid that you could actually write on it. Okay, you know, it's not okay. like it didn't disintegrate when you took a pen to it. I and mean, it was just being funny. I was yeah, just yeah, trying to be sure, funny. Sure. So uh, I just fell in love with uh, that, that whole idea of seeing incredible things, mm -hmm. bullfights, uh, different kinds of food, meeting all these uh, new people. Okay. And I was just hooked, especially on Europe, because it was, it was similar, you know, somewhat, it was Western culture, so sure. I could drink the water, you know, it was safe and all these things, but it was still so different. Sure, sure. And and there must in because I've you've told me many times about your trips, and because it's so much more than the photography piece, and um and I, I it seems like that well and a lot of times when people are going to be traveling they're traveling and they're sh they're seeing things for the very first time that you're there that you're bringing them on so it's about this experience that they're having, um and they're also being shown how to use this camera how to be able to capture images that that they're not going to see maybe in their hometown. So. Yeah, I, there's uh, nothing I love more than uh, I love to scout a place before I bring a group back. So typically I'll go to a place a year in advance because I want to be there at the same time of year sure. that I'm going to bring the group back because uh, for photography that might be the seasons or festivals right. or things like that, weather. So... Um, I love to scout, and what I do on those scouting trips, I probably do two to three times the amount of activities and experiences, And I, but I meet all the guides and try the hotels and restaurants, et cetera, transportation. And uh, so then there's nothing I love more than to bring a group back and to have them experience the best of what I did during that scouting trip because we couldn't possibly do the amount of things that I did on my own with my local guide or tour operator that I'm working with when I'm with 10 or 12 people, which mm -hmm. my groups are typically anywhere from 10 to 14 people at most. Okay. So they're small groups. Mm -hmm. So uh, nothing I love more than to introduce them to some interesting person that I met to take them to this fantastic wine tasting, you know, vineyard that I went to or, you know, try the bamboo train in Cambodia or do a tuk-tuk adventure or something. Um, and, and then to see it and relive it through their eyes mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and to help them capture images that, you know, capture that feeling as much as possible sure. to uh, for th their friends and family. 
And and one of the things that I often hear is that, you know, Ralph, my, my images aren't just aren't capturing what I'm seeing here. And I thought about it a lot. And, uh, you know, it comes down to the fact that it's just a two-dimensional piece of paper. Yep. And when we're there, it, there's the smells and the sounds and the feelings and the, the temperature and all these different senses that make up that whole experience that a two-dimensional piece of paper is not going to no. ever capture yeah yeah i can i can yeah i definitely can see how that would be because i've done the same thing only because i have um a memory associated with that image does it bring up some of those same uh same feelings or you know that same type of experience but if i'm you know if i'm just looking at someone else's pictures um and and if it's just the picture i don't even get the story that goes along with it it's just not the same exactly. it's you know it's not as uh it's it's not as powerful right. so um so let's let's go so i wanted to capture you'll hear a little bit about that piece because that's really kind of the foundation of, of that and then you know when you did your worldwide trip when, in 88 um you were you you know you were in your 20s i'm assuming then right. and um and so what was that like that so that was your first trip uh by yourself but you went around the world yeah, I literally went around the world. This was uh, eight, 1988. I was 24 years old. It ended up being a five-month trip. And uh, like I said, it was before the Internet, before cell phones. So, you know, doing the research was, you know, calling travel agents and or, or even tourist boards and asking them to send me physical brochures, you know, because okay. there wasn't an online brochure with a website right. to go to. So when I think about it, you know, it's kind of funny now. Um, although it's it's doesn't mean it's necessarily that much easier to do it today, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, because there's just so many more choices. Right. But uh, still, the research is a fun part of travel, I think. Um, but uh, that was that was amazing. So uh, you know, back then I I bought a round the world ticket for twenty four hundred dollars. I remember exactly how much it was. If you were to look up a round the world ticket today, now this is over thirty years ago. It would still be about twenty four hundred dollars, which is hard to believe is. that in thirty years the you know that the, that big part of travel has stayed about the same. Hmm. Uh, but I think I went to five different continents, fifteen countries. Uh, my girlfriend at the time met me in Europe for about a month, so that was fun. Uh, but I was ready to get home after that long and uh, you know being 24 years old and moving around every two three four nights uh got tiring for five months sure and it's kind of what i do today to a degree although i try to be in one place for a period of time but if i'm in one place for a week that's a long time mm. um and that's that's the the difficult part of what I do, and, and no one's ever going to feel sorry for me. But uh, you know, after doing this now for eleven years plus full time, um, it's it's tiring. Sure. And packing and unpacking and planes, trains, automobiles, and it's uh, very very tiring. So I'm actually uh, my company, my main company is Photo Enrichment Adventures, and that's these cultural tours that are based on photography. So photography is a part of the trip. Uh, they're not photo tours. They're certainly not photo workshops. So, um, but I've created a new brand called Ala Campania Experiences 
that is uh, less about photography and more about being in one place for a period of time, maybe four or five nights, even up to seven nights, and getting to know it really well instead of a region or a whole country over 14 days and moving around a lot. Okay, so going uh, going back to the photo photo enrichment experience, obviously over the last eleven years it it has changed and and there's different things that you've done and different experiences. What was that? If you remember back to the very first trip and and eleven years ago when you had that when you planned that trip and those those first group of uh, individuals went on went on with you. What what was what was that like? Because there had to have been, uh, you know, fear and ex- you know, exciting at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it was very different uh, because today my trips I organize them entirely on my own in conjunction with a local tour operator in the destination. Back then, the first trip I ever ran was in conjunction with a very big tour company. Mm. So my group of six people was a part of a much larger group, and. We, uh, the first trip I did was to the Central European Christmas markets. That was f- fantastic places, Prague, Munich, Salzburg, uh, all, all these incredible Budapest, wonderful locations. But we were at the mercy of the tour company because we were a part of their trip. Um, now, that was fine because the trip was very inexpensive and you know, there, there's always pluses and minuses to everything. But I, I learned early on that I want to be in control of when we leave because they weren't concerned about photography and being able to get out early for the best light and uh, getting into smaller little places and local mm-hmm. restaurants and having these uh, very intimate experiences, which is what I wanted with my group. You know, there was 40 other people, mm-hmm. and it was a big bus. Yeah. But it was a great way for me to sort of get my feet wet and to realize that that's not what I wanted to do. And it was, uh, you know, one of the, probably the only way that I could have really gotten into it myself. Mm-hmm. Now, fast forward maybe two years after that, and, uh, you know, I decided that I didn't want to work with a big company like that because I think I did one other trip to Egypt with them. Uh, but what I did for that was... Uh, I said, you know what, I'm going to put together my own trip, soup to nuts. And so with my uh, assistant at the time, Rebecca, uh, it was going to be a trip to Spain, which I had been, I told you, when Mm -hmm. I was 15. So I love Spain. I speak the language. I knew where I wanted to bring this group. Uh, So I had a really good idea for the base of the trip. But we had to contact, you know, at least four different hotels for Madrid, Segovia, Toledo, Barcelona, four different guides, different restaurants, experiences, transportation, train, local uh, buses. I, I figured it was like 36 different vendors mm. that, number one, we had to tell our story to and who we were and why they should work with us. It ended up, in a nutshell, it was a nightmare. Sure. So I said, forget it. That's not what I'm going to do anymore. Um, I'm going to work with a local tour operator who knows everything in that destination, mm-hmm. knows all the hotels, guides, transportation, etc. And now that's what I do. I work in conjunction with them. I tell them exactly what I'm looking for, what I'm not looking for, which is just as important. You know, we don't really want to do museums and things like that. People can do that in their free time because typically on my trips, it's half day scheduled, half day free time. 
And so um, it, it allows people to do things that aren't on this, the itinerary. But uh, that was probably the best decision I ever made with regards to my business. Of go, getting away from the big tour, experimenting by d- doing it all of it yourself and figuring out that there was just way too much yeah. front-end work. Yeah. And there's probably too many moving moving variables for something to happen. Absolutely. And then, and then locking in with the tour guides. Now they have now they have a or a local local person, Mm -hmm. um, local tour guide because now they have a vested interest because it's a win win, win. Everybody's winning with that that scenario. So one of the things as I'm listening to you, you know, as you first talked about the restaurant stuff, and and being involved with the restaurant business and and maybe these go back to lessons that you experienced either directly or vicariously through your parents. So if that was the case definitely throw that in there but that like some of the things that you've sounds like you've changed from the in the business standpoint or had to do with what does Ralph want to do what what you know when you talk about the experience that you wanted to have for for the individuals that are going to go I get this I get this feeling that it's what 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 you would want on an experience it seems to be kind of that grounding piece regardless if it's the restaurant um, even if it's a small thing like when you said switching switching from being a restaurant owner to something else that I want to take a shower before I go to work versus after I go to work I mean that seems like a small thing unless you work in the restaurant business <laughs> and then you'll know exactly what that means yeah. Um, uh, so yeah tell us a little bit about that I mean or, or am I am I on to, to some yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I, I, I like to think I'm a fairly regular guy, mm-hmm. and I've got uh, fairly standard tastes. But um, And so I think that uh, – and I – you know, I, 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 th- I think the people that come on my trips are similar to me. Mm-hmm. And they like my style of travel, the types of trips that I do. They like the half-day scheduled, half-day free time. Some people don't. Some people want – uh, you know, 12 hours a day scheduled. They don't want to have to think of what they're going to do during their free time. And they should go on those big bus trips where everything is planned all the time. Uh, they probably will be disappointed with my kind of trip. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a whole group of people that are very comfortable. They want a really nice framework for a trip. You know, everything's figured out from the time you get to the airport in the location to when you leave. We get you to the airport. Uh, we tell you where to be when with the flights, and you set up your own flights. But um, the idea is that, uh, you know, I, I, I think that uh, the people that follow me like to do what I like to do. They have very right. similar tastes and interests. Right. And so it works out great because um, I feel like I'm traveling with friends more than clients sure and uh, i can't tell you how many great friends i've developed just out of people strangers at first coming onto my trips and then you're with them for 10 12 even 14 days and uh, because they're so similar we all just have a blast and Mm -hmm. it's like traveling with friends so talk it really makes my job easy sure yeah so okay so then as as you and i think and i listen to business you know business owners entrepreneurs um business leaders how do we know how do we know when to stick 
because there is an aspect of uh, endurance and stamina to stick with something, to have the discipline to stick with something and, and push through the difficult times. And then how do we get that sense of knowing it's time to um, transform and adapt? You talked about your, your dad. Why did he get into the, the restaurant business? What did he do before that? I think at that time he was an electrician slash uh, air conditioning Okay. Guy. So, yeah. so he had this idea of what this must be like to be a restaurant owner, and they were looking at um, this new industry of what McDonald's was doing with franchising, mm -hmm. and um, and so they adapted it to um, another industry. I mean, not another industry, but another type of restaurant. Right. Um, and so there must be this element of uh, trusting your gut, trusting your own. Um, your own intuition, your own feeling. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, oftentimes people ask me, how do you choose the locations that you go to, the different countries and places that you go? And uh, I say, well, you know, first and foremost, it, I have to be interested in the place mm -hmm. um, because if I'm going to try to sell this trip I need to be enthusiastic about it and it's hard for me to sell something that I don't believe in or I'm not enthusiastic about so um, that I mean that's how I come up with that uh, you know and then it's about doing the things that that I enjoy doing on the trips but also keeping in mind that uh, my clientele are anywhere from 40s to 70s and, you know, physically, can they handle certain things? And everything's optional, of course. Mm -hmm. So people sometimes will bow out of hikes or different things that are a little bit more physical. But, um, yeah, um, you know, when I, when I shifted, I mean, that's what I want. You know, I'm like, why am I doing this thing that is really difficult um, and I, I'm really not enjoying you know, life's too short. Mm -hmm. It's that old saying. And so I'm like, you know, I, I want to figure out how, how to create this travel business and make a living from photography and travel, which again, I thought was like being a rock star, but with digital photography, social media, the internet, uh, all these different things sort of came together and made it so that, you know, virtually anyone can start a, a tour company or start a company mm -hmm. and uh, so I, I actually teach people how to organize and lead their own tours mm. and that you know I just say have some sort of a common thread or a niche and mine was photography and now with the new a la Campania experiences is about food and culture and interest in the Mediterranean because they're all based around the Mediterranean but it might be yoga or wellness mm. or, you know, music, whatever the common thread is. Sure. Uh, build a trip around that. So okay. that's that's kind of what I did. I hope I answered your question. Yeah, no, no, that, and I, well, because I think that is an element, is that um, the best product or service that we're going to be able to bring to someone else is something that, uh, that works for us. Yeah, you know, we it's not only do we have to believe in it, you know, as you said, be enthusiastic about it, but um, but it it has to enhance our life as well. And I know for me, um, a, a big part of you know people ask, so how'd you get into the podcast? Why did you start doing a podcast? You know, and and part of it was is that. I've been listening to podcasts for the longest time and, and that was how I was getting content. And that's how I was learning news, new, 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 
information. And so um, started the idea that um, back in 2001, when I first opened up KP, I was doing these monthly reflections on just on, on just observations. It was just a, a two-paragraph newsletter and because um, I enjoy hearing people's stories. And that was what I used to give away um, monthly it made sense, you know, and so it's just been an extension. I think there, there, that element of being able to find things that are just extension of who you are, and if you can figure out from a business standpoint how to monetize that, that's even, you know, that's a plus, right? And, um, I, I've as I've gotten to know you over the years, I I remember a story that I had uh, from someone a long time ago that they came back to me, a couple came back to me, and that they were going to uh, get their captain's license, and they were going to um, uh, buy a boat, and they were going to give tours in the Caribbean, and that's what they were going to do. And as they were down there doing some research on that, they were vacationing at the time, doing some research on it, um, the, the, the wife asked uh, one of the guys, the who that's what he did for a living mm-hmm. asked him well what do you do for retirement she had a a, a, a typical a stereotypical job of the 401k and the pension all that type of stuff and um and he so she asked him about well what do you do for retirement what do you do for benefits what do you do for all these things normal questions that people would ask and he stood she, as she told me the story um, she kind of stood like he stood on the on the dock with the boat in the background probably the sun setting and, and goes well, where do you think I am <laughs> and you know he was probably in his early 40s and he was doing what he would do if he was retired he just happened to be doing it in his 30s and 40s so that was their selling point for them to um, create the life that they wanted now instead of waiting to some later date. And, and I think in a lot of ways, um, when, when, when we've met and I've listened to you talk about what you do, that's very, very much the same, the same thing, is that you're living the life you'd be living if you were retired. You just, ha- just happened to have created into a business. Now, I know that isn't still work and, and and because anytime you do that and you turn something into a, a business or a job um, then there is going to be the element to work because now it isn't just at, at leisure it's there's time limits and, and constraints and different things like that but um, being able to listen to that intuition and knowing when to adapt the business or or shift it because something's shifting within you um, so before we go and talk about your new adventure, I want to d- d- a couple more questions. I know that one of the places that you had gone to um, numerous times, numerous tours, was Cuba. And, and that of probably many countries that you've been to over the 11 years has changed tremendously. So tell us a little bit about um, how Cuba's changed um, and how the tours have changed since you've been going. Um, how many tours have you, how many, t- how many times have you brought people to Cuba? 18 times 18 now. times yeah. over, over the 11 years yep uh, over I guess it's been about nine years that I've been going there okay yeah since 2010 and so I used to do four tours a year to, to Cuba uh, these are fully licensed people-to-people programs um, you know some people can sneak in through the back door but of course I would never do that with a group but uh, yeah it uh, you know there there were Back 10, 8, 10 years ago, there was really just one or two really nice hotels in Havana. 
and now there's more but there's so much more demand i can't i don't even know what the numbers are of how much tourism has grown i think at the time you know the the whole world's been going to cuba forever it's just the americans that that hadn't been since this embargo um but uh you know to to the canadians it's their florida mm. you know they just pop down there just fly right over the u.s and go right to to cuba but uh now there's there's better hotels but the prices are not inexpensive you would think that cuba would be very inexpensive but it's it's really not that inexpensive uh but i the, the, some of the hotels that we were staying at because we couldn't get into these big hotels because national geographic and all these huge tour companies you know, could pay huge deposits to block out rooms years in advance, and I couldn't compete with that. So we would stay at these more secondary hotels, and uh, they were tired, and mm-hmm. they were not great. And um, so I was getting, a, you know, a fair amount of complaints from clients. They loved the trip, but the hotel mm-hmm. was uh, was difficult, the, the hotels we were staying at. Now, um, and they've had this for a while, but these casas particulares, which are rooms in people's homes or apartments, uh, it's almost like Airbnb, and Airbnb is actually down there now. Uh, they're, they're organizing rooms, but uh, now we, we found an incredible casa particular, which is uh, these uh, actually different floors with three rooms with their own bathrooms their apartments Uh, and they're in a great location and it's really the only reason i'm still going back because i was so disappointed with the hotels and i couldn't get into the the really nice ones so uh but cuba's changed a lot you know the but not all for the worse uh even with a lot of tourism it's much more crowded but uh yeah i think it's better for the people because there's a lot more uh, hard currency going down there and uh you know, so, uh, but I, I've, I've made so many great friends over those 18 trips. I love going back. I love introducing my people to those people, mm-hmm. you know, my, my clients to those people that I've known for many, many years. And, uh, you know, nothing better than walking into a bar and, and there's a whole band there that I know and they all, they stop playing and they all hug me. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, I think my my clients they enjoy that, and then sure. they become best friends with them, and it's uh, there's nothing like it. The Cuban people are, are absolutely fantastic. So you are a rock star, so just like you said you wanted to be. <laughs> I've been up there a few times yeah. on stage there, with them. Yeah, there you go, because <laughs> they love to do that. Yeah, sure. So when you think of and obviously the stories, and and maybe this will. When I ask this question, it's probably an unfair question, so uh, so feel free to, to to state that. But if there was a place that that um, that you went to it, you were intrigued by it, but then it totally surprised you um, because it was even better than you thought. If if anything stands out in your mind, and I know that could probably be a, a hundred different choices, but um, but if there's a, if there's one particular story that pops in your mind of a place that you thought, oh, this will be cool, but then when you got there, it was it was even better than you thought. Well, um, you know, going back to Cuba, one of the, the I think the first trip I took down there, uh, a client who's, again, become a very good friend of mine and has been on several of my trips, he uh, had always been going to Cambodia. And he had been going for about 10 years. Every year he would go. And he kept saying, well, you got to go to Cambodia. We got to do it. So we're sitting in Cuba with a third friend of ours 
and we were just having a beer and he says you know what what's our next trip going to be you know we just had such a great time and he says let's go to cambodia i said okay let's do it you know because he's been trying to get me to go there forever so i you know i i said but i said you know going back to what i was talking about earlier i said uh but i want like three or four days where i can just do nothing Mm -hmm. i want to just sit on the beach because i need that and he's like, yeah, fine. So went to Cambodia, absolutely loved it. It's now one of my top three favorite countries okay. um, that I've been to. And uh, those other two keep rotating, but sure, uh, sure. it's just fantastic. Uh, I also do Vietnam, which is right next door. But uh, I always say Cambodia is like Vietnam maybe 15 years ago. Mm. Uh, but the food is phenomenal. The people are super. The things that you see and the, the photographs you could take, the landscapes, it's just outstanding. Mm. Interesting. Okay. And, and I think, uh, I think for, the, for individuals who have not traveled, I think there's this association with that area of the world, Cambodia and Vietnam, with the horrors of the Vietnam War. And so I don't think the general person actually thinks about visiting there. And, um, and I think it's different than if people talk about, you know, going to New Zealand or going to, you know, Australia or somewhere like that. Um, or even the, even necessarily the Philippines. And, but, so that's an interesting, um, that you would definitely say would be one of the top places to. Yeah. Don't, don't forget the, you know, the, the Cambodia had its own atrocities in the middle seventies with the Khmer Rouge. And so we make that a part of the trip. Uh, we go to, uh, Tolslang to S 21 where the, it was a, you know, a former grade school that they turned into a prison and we see, you know, where these things actually happen. Mm-hmm. There's a man there till this day, if he's still alive, he's fairly young, he's probably only 55 or so today, that grew up during that. And mm-hmm. he's written a book and he's there and he'll talk to you about uh, you know, what actually happened back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, we go to uh, you know, other, uh, uh, to the killing fields. Uh, you know, which you've probably heard of. Mm-hmm. And so we, th- that's a part of the story. Mm-hmm. So you could, you know, go there and not see those things, but you're not seeing, you know, the complete story because it's, it's about the good and the bad. Right. And uh, it's tough. It's, it's really tough to see those things. But <laughs> um, I think my clients are happy that we showed it to them and that they got a feel for that. Well, because, like you said, it's it's part of the story, <clears throat> so then it needs to be part of the experience. There's a depth to it, and um, and then it gives even a, I think even a greater appreciation for for the people than absolutely that they, that they meet. Right? Yeah, because when you meet these people and you realize what they live through, mm-hmm. and how wonderful they are today, you're like, how could they be like that? And it's just incredible yeah. resilience. Yeah. But the fact is too that probably. Uh, you know, 80% of the country wasn't even alive then. You know, it's a very young country, so they didn't have to live through that. But the older folks absolutely did. Sure. It's yeah. very tough. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
so going back to, and I know you've, you've over the time have done a lot of different things, a lot of different opportunities. You were saying earlier that you used to have your own podcast and I know that you've um, looked into and done some, um, some work on creating a documentary. Um, uh, I think you introduced to me the first time I've heard of a, a sizzle reel. I don't think I had ever heard of that before. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a lot of different things. Now this new project that you have, Tell us a little bit about that and what's and where did that come from um, with about creating the experience that it's less about photography and more about um, being in one location. So tell us a little bit, because that's a that's fairly new. It's less than two years old, right? Yeah, really just uh, about a year old. Um, I've been thinking about it for a couple of years, but um, some of my clients were telling me that they wanted to come on my trips, but... When, when you go to Cambodia or India, Bhutan, Nepal, you know, th- these places that are literally halfway around the world, you're probably not going to go there for a week. You, know, you want to go there and maximize the, the, the effort that it took you to get there. So uh, they were asking me for shorter trips, less moving around, uh, less about photography, which, again, my trips were never photo tours were and photo workshop to me is 12 hours a day, all photography, all the time. And there's a lot of people that enjoy those kinds of trips. Mm-hmm. And there's companies that put those together. Uh, and uh, it's just not my kind of trip. And so uh, they, they were asking for a little bit less photography. You know, I want to put the camera down. So um, I love the Mediterranean, uh, Portugal, Spain, France, Italy. Sicily, and so it's probably my favorite part of the world region, and um, it's it's again you know, the, my people can drink the water. Then I have to worry about you know street food and things like that. Uh, it's it's very Western, so um, I decided to create this this uh, series of trips called A la Campania Experiences, and it's uh, it's a bit of an homage to my mother whose last name is Campania or her maiden name is Campania which mm. means countryside in Italian so it means to the countryside and the idea is to base ourselves in one maybe two locations over the course of 7 to 10 days and but the location is going to be something like a, a privately owned castle or a wine estate, an agriturismo, some really impressive property where the property itself is destination. You may not want to leave. So uh, the first trip is going to be to uh, France's magical Dordogne. That's the name of it. And it's the Dordogne region, southwestern France. We're staying at a private castle. This man's owned it for over 30 years. Uh, but we're going to do day trips from there. Of course, we're not just going to sit at the castle for seven days, but we're you know about a half-day scheduled, half-day free time. And we're going to do little day trips to nearby villages, markets, uh, things like that. Uh, you know, uh, Free time for people to, uh, to hang out. It's got a pool. It's got a game room. It's got wine tasting, all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's what he said, This is uh, 18 rooms. It's got 18 rooms, each with their own bathroom. But uh, it's 270 acres, and uh, he said when he bought it, it had a, a table and two chairs in it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, can you imagine what it takes to furnish? A castle? No. 18, <laughs> yeah, a castle, an 18-bedroom sure. castle. Yeah. Well, now it is chock full of antiques okay. and uh, tapestries, stained glass. Uh, he's got the, the largest private tile collection in the world. 
um, it just uh, oriental rugs. Every room is incredible. So when you say castle, I, I have you know my head goes back to you know King Arthur days and and that piece. And then you know, so are we talking big, big rooms? I mean, so describe the inside. To it's us. an eleventh century castle. Okay. Um, so it's a huge property, and I, I think it's grown over the years but the main section of it is you know your typical you know you look in the dictionary under castle and there's a picture of this place sure okay. uh, it's really incredible the, the rooms aren't necessarily huge huge but um they're they're good size and uh he's got you know they're they're mostly decorated with all the period sort mm -hmm. of furniture and things like that and uh just super super interesting mm -hmm. um you know the uh, the the plumbing is, uh, I mean, it, obviously it works, but uh, you know some of the stairs creak, and you know there's, you can imagine what it takes to maintain a, a castle. Sure. I, I even asked them if uh, if it would be possible to bring a group there in March, uh, for because I had a particular group that was looking to do something in March, and I said, well, maybe we could go to this castle, and uh, so I, I asked the owner. I said, you know, hey Miles, uh, would it be possible? He says. Do you have any idea what it takes to heat a castle in March? <laughs> I said, yeah, okay, you're probably right. <laughs> we'll find somewhere else. And, the, and you said this is in Spain or in France? This is southwestern France, South, the southwestern Dordogne France. region okay, of France. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah, so, so it's it's incredible, though. And, you know, we're, we're going to do little day trips to nearby towns, uh, the villages, Bordeaux and Brantome and uh, Ribarac, and the, just go to market days and – you know, you know, have some meals at uh, Michelin-starred restaurants and things like that. Gotcha. Of course, we're going to have our cameras with us. I mean, who doesn't? Yeah. Yeah. But it's not going to be photo walks and imagery views and instruction and those kinds of things sure. that uh, people will find on my photo enrichment adventures trips. Sure, gotcha. Which I'm still doing, Sure, but, uh, you know, just less of. Sure, sure. A little bit more of a balancing yeah. with the two. Gotcha. Exactly. So I, we've talked about a lot of the upsides of, of doing this, but um, like anything um, that, that gets turned into a business, um, there's downsides. And so um, of those downsides or of those things that you've had to uh, persist through or develop that level of resiliency to, to persevere through, what would you say would be some of the some of the downsides because it isn't a vacation right i mean for you it isn't i mean it's work you yeah. know so so what would you say are, are a couple of the downsides because i think it's important I, I want people who are listening to to know that yeah this is a life that you can have i mean maybe it won't be exactly what you're doing with this but it, it's it's about planting seeds about what they could do but it, it's not only should we talk about the possibility to create those dreams of that, but then also be aware of the things that you're going to learn along the way. But almost all those things are as a result of some type of difficulty or stress or hardship. So what would, what would you say have been some of the, um, the difficult things or the uh, hardship may be too strong of a word, but difficult things that you've learned? Yeah. Well, the, I mean, the biggest negative is, uh, you know, try having any sort of a relationship mm -hmm. Uh, when you're on the road nine months out of the year internationally in different places. Uh, it's virtually impossible. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never been married. I don't have children. Um, it's probably the only way that I could possibly do this is because I don't have a family. 
because um, uh, not you know, many women would put up with their their spouse being gone for nine months out of the year. Um, but that's one of the hardest things mm-hmm. um, is just not being able to have a stable relationship. Uh, it'd be great if I could find someone that could travel with me and be a part of the business and, and you know, help me. Um, but, uh, the, you know, it's uh, probably needle in a haystack. Sure. Um, the other thing is just the, I love being in these places, but it's getting there and back. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's the travel part. It's, it's the you know, 14 hour flights and uh, airports and lines and traffic and, and, and all those things, you know, uh, people tend to gripe about those things when they do them once a year for their, you know, to, you know, their two week vacation that mm-hmm. they take. But imagine you know, being on 50 airplanes a year and God knows how many uh, airports and uh, dozens and dozens of hotels and Airbnbs. I, uh, last year I got a notification from Airbnb and said, uh, uh, we'd just like to thank you for staying in uh, for 69 nights in Airbnbs in nine different cities around the world. And uh, so that was just 69 nights in Airbnbs. That mm-hmm. didn't even count the, you know, probably 200 nights in hotels that I spent as well. Sure. Packing and unpacking every two, three nights, maybe sometimes one. So uh, that, that part of it gets, gets old. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'll be honest with you, there's something that, that I, I just got back from San Diego, I told you. And um, there's something about just sitting on an airplane that makes me super creative Mm. i get some of my best ideas just sitting on airplanes and kind of just working and just for some reason it's like being in the shower you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, ideas come to me and so that part of it i don't mind Mm -hmm. Um, but it's the waiting at the airports the lines once i'm on that plane i'm usually okay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sure, sure. Well, it and I, I imagine, like you said earlier, it's it's probably a a, lo- a, a way for you to go into that, uh, or you can you can choose to go into that meditative state and and go into that because the distractions are can be less because there's a, there's a limited amount of what you can do. Um, as you said, one of the downsides of, of being a business owner or an entrepreneur or creative is that the work's never fully completed. Um, and there's not a, not a day when you're going to go, all right, I'm every, all the boxes are checked. <laughs> if that's the case, then you probably didn't look around the corner where there's exactly. more boxes to, right. to, to, to look into. But, um, but there are this, that element maybe when you're there, you, you know what you can do and you, and, and you can't, doing more than that and so maybe that opens up that opportunity to be creative yeah so so ralph uh, well let me ask you besides besides the piece of 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 doing your your new um the new service that you're offering with with that new experience what other things are you have anything coming up in in 2020 any new things that you're doing or providing for um for your clients yeah i mean uh the first quarter of the year, I'm almost always speaking at the, the travel shows here in the U.S. Uh, so these are the travel and adventure shows, series of shows. 
also at the New York Times Travel Show. So that's coming up. But um, I'm also working on a YouTube channel that I'm pretty excited about building a, a little s- sort of studio in my mom's basement. Okay. Uh, the, she's got a great little room down there that uh, wasn't being used at all, and so I'm converting it into a YouTube studio. So I'm, I'm excited about uh, creating a channel that will talk to uh, mostly uh, baby boomers, which are pretty much my target market right now so roughly 40s to 70s even into the 80s uh year old people that uh, are interested in travel and basic photography tips and we're all photographers i mean whether it's just a smartphone or a high-end dslr but the the vast majority of us uh, if not 100 percent of us these days have a, a camera in our pocket and i'm shooting a lot more with just my iPhone. Mm-hmm. So uh, it'll be basic camera tips, uh, photography tips, but also travel tips. I love uh, making mistakes or learning things or, you know, getting ripped off and then, you know, h- helping other people not to have that happen to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what I uh, am looking forward to doing mm-hmm. is teach. Again, it allows me to teach. Right. And so I'm looking forward to getting that channel going. It'll be partly about interviews with other travel and photography experts, part of uh, maybe some product and service reviews. Uh, it'll be me in the field uh, on these trips or in these places doing some episodes, but also sitting in the studio as well. So I'm really excited about that because uh, what I do is so visual. Yeah, uh, I, I wanted to do a podcast, and um, th- there may be a video podcast that comes out of it. But what I do is so visual. The places I am are so stunning that it only makes sense to have video be a big part of it, and YouTube just makes so much sense. Sure, sure. Well, and again, it, it's it's kind of like what you said earlier when we were talking about capturing the capturing those elements that what already interests you that you utilize and then how do you uh, utilize that platform how do you utilize that uh, experience and then bring that to other people and uh, yeah. similar to you spending a lot of time on YouTube learning how to do something new um, now you're gonna use that platform to be able to share some of your experiences and I, I think of uh, an individual and I'm trying to remember um, I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, I think his name was Guy. I'm not. I'm not 100 positive, but he was an he was an individual who, um, early on, when when you know the social uh, social media platforms first you know broke through, his dad was in the liquor business in New York City, and he started. Um, doing uh, a YouTube channel on oh Gary wine. V- Gary Vanerchuk yes yeah that's what it, Gary yeah, yes, Gary V yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and it was the the wine tasting and, he, yeah. and all he did was taste wine and give his opinion or his thoughts about yeah. the wine and yeah. um, and it was so useful for people because it was a way uh, of um, especially at that time period when wine first became super popular um, he was giving tips about 
his experience with drinking wine and uh, and and i think those types of things are so important and um and people utilizing that for the ones that want to to capture those things yeah for sure and if i could just briefly say that i've got something huge coming up that perhaps you'll have me on another time okay i can't uh talk about it right now because i don't want to jinx it or let the cat (laughs) out of the bag but we've talked about it before but uh not publicly okay so uh so i'm really excited about that and that'll be a part of this youtube uh, channel as well and that's possibly in 20 as well hopefully this will happen in uh, early 2020 yes okay perfect well Ralph, as we wrap up today, um, and for anybody who may be listening, um, either from a business standpoint or want to experience one of your trips, what would, um, or someone who wants to create their own, taking their dream and bring it into a possibility, what um, what would you want to share with somebody as we as we part today? Uh, where people can find me? Yeah, oh, well, yeah, or, definitely that. Oh. But then, but before that, where oh. individuals who want to experience more than just. Uh, uh, what they're used to, you know, or, or, or from a business standpoint of, of creating, um, living their dream of doing something, what would you, what would you share with them? You know, uh, I mean, one of the big lessons that I learned it, when I went from that second restaurant back in 2004 and I had to make that decision, uh, it was uh, very, very difficult, uh, starting this business, um, from scratch, especially at that time, which was essentially before social media, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking 2006, seven before, you know, things really started happening with that, which makes it easier now. Uh, but it's just to be persistent. Mm-hmm. You know, I burned all the bridges. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I found that over my life, I tried many, many things, but I always had a fallback mm-hmm. and, and they tell you, you know, always have a fallback. Well, I think sometimes that can go against you because it makes you not push as hard after that thing that you really want because you always got a fallback. So I burned the bridges and I had to make this thing work. Sure. And so that would be my biggest uh, takeaway. Okay. And knowing you as long as I've known you, um, I think that not that that doesn't come with its own stress, but I do think that is, um, I think that's a hundred percent key because I've, I've seen you experience that and, um, and you have to make it work and figure it out. And that's also where that, uh, listening to that intuition and that creativity comes in and where that next thing comes next thing for you to do comes from it. Mm-hmm. So if people want to get a hold of you um, to learn more about what you're doing or maybe even want to book a trip, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Sure. So the, uh, my, my main websites are photoenrichment.com and my new a la Campania experiences are at alacampagna.com. And uh, I'll just spell that quickly. Hopefully you'll put maybe a link in the show notes. A-L-L-A-C-A-M-P-A-G-N-A.com. And that's where people can find me. Uh, also look for me on Facebook. Uh, I've got, uh, you know, at Ralph Velasco on all the social media networks, at Photo Enrichment, and at Ala Campania as well. So uh, trying to get more active on social media. So hopefully people can follow along, uh, especially on Instagram and Facebook. Perfect. For those kinds of things. All right. Yeah. Well, Ralph, thanks for being here. And as, as always, uh, when we get together, I always love to hear about your trips and where you've been and what you're going to go and do next. So, I appreciate so, you having yeah, me on, yeah. Kevin. So, thank you. Thanks a lot. So uh, thank you very much for being with us today. And as, as we listen to Ralph tell his story about 
how um, he wanted to live a life and and live a life that he wanted versus being fit into a box. Um, I, I think some of those lessons that he talked about, but most importantly, this idea of persistence that um, and, and being able to burn those um, burn those boats and burn those bridges so that um, it's not easy to, um, to 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 go back to. There's something to be said about that um, about. Um, not playing with a safety net. So thank you very much. I uh, appreciate you being with us today and I'll look forward to seeing you next week.